0: chapter 16 of Acts. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which was a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into the prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed.
1: Thank you, Barbara.
0: Well, as we start
1: our journey through the book of Philippians, I thought it was important for us to hear how the Philippian church started. Philippi is a Roman colony and a leading city in Macedonia, as you can see on the screen, which today is in northeastern Greece. The Philippian church was the first church Paul planted in Europe and happened during his second missionary journey. We see here in in Acts 16 how Paul desired, him and his companions desired to go to Asia and to share the gospel there. But the Holy Spirit kept deterring them and stopping them from doing it. So they continued on their journey and eventually ended up in Troas. And when he was in Troas, he had this vision. And look with me at Acts 16, verses 9 and 10. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul sees this vision, and he realizes that God's calling him to Macedonia. And like any of us, if we saw a vision, I think we'd pack our bags and head to where God's calling us. I hope that you would. I know I would. And so Paul and his companions headed to Macedonia, and eventually arrived in Philippi. And what we're picking up today is is the church of Philippi. And God used Paul to reach three individuals, three very unique individuals for the gospel. The first being Lydia. And we see her story there in chapter 16, verses 11 to 15. And we see that Lydia, she was from from Asia, from Thyatira, which is in Asia Minor. She was a wealthy individual. She had much. She actually ran her own business, selling uh, purple goods, clothing. We'd call that the fashion business. She was also a God-fearer. She already knew about the God of the Jews. And she had pursued a relationship with him. And so she had already rejected the other gods, the, the multiple, multitude of gods that were known in Asia and Europe and in the Roman Empire at that time. And we see because she was a God-fearer that she was trying to live a moral life. And she was even gathering with women of faith. And that's where Paul runs into her. It was like a little Bible study along the river. She was also an intellectual. She was a smart individual. And she was a seeker. She was seeking to know more about this God that she had heard about. And I'd like to read again Acts 16 verses 14 and 15. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized, her and her household as well. So we see here Paul goes along to the river and he starts sharing about Jesus with with these people, these women that were there. And Lydia's heart is moved towards God and she repents and turns to him and is baptized immediately. So she is the first convert in Europe, the first one that Paul led to, him, to Jesus Christ. So she was the first. But there's three conversions that we're looking at this morning here in Acts chapter 16. And the second is a slave girl. Very different from Lydia, the total opposite. She was a Greek. She was poor. She was a slave. She was demon-possessed and made her a little crazy. And she needs an act of God to change her. Look with me at Acts 16, verses 17 and 18. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this kept, she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. So, I can only imagine what this scene looked like. This woman following around Paul and his companions, yelling at the top of her lungs, these men are servants of the Most High God, providing you the way of the salvation. And I'm sure Paul was getting annoyed and frustrated, and eventually he just cries out, Spirit, leave her! And the Spirit leaves her. And she becomes the second convert, the second believer in the city of Philippi. The second person in this new church. Which leads us to the third person, the third conversion that took place in the city of Philippi. And that's the Philippian jailer. So, these men that owned the slave girl realized that their prophet was gone. So they had Paul arrested and thrown into prison. And this Roman jailer was the one that was to oversee him and his companions. So this jailer, this Philippian jailer, was a Roman. He was a middle class type person, a blue collar worker. He wasn't rich or poor, like we see with Lydia being wealthy and the slave girl being poor. He was indifferent to God and the things of God and the meaning of life. He was duty-bound. He focused on his job, and he felt it important to do his job. And it was only by Paul's example and his companions that this man receives Christ. Look with me at Acts 16, verses 27 to 31. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison's doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the light and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and his companions were a witness to this Philippian jailer who was about to kill himself because he knew if if the prisoners had escaped, his life was on the line. But Paul saved him from killing himself and then shared Jesus Christ with him. And him and his household became believers and followers of Jesus. So we see three very different individuals. Two women, one man. Some wealthy, some poor, some middle class. Very different races, different economics, different backgrounds, different social status, different intellect, and different places in their spiritual life and journey. But Paul, God uses Paul to call these individuals to himself. And they become the church of Philippi, them and their households. They are all very different, but they all become one in Jesus Christ. They probably would have never fellowshiped together or or had dinner or lunch or anything together, but because God saved them and they had this common bond now in Jesus Christ, they became believers and followers together. God broke down the walls of race, background, intellect, economics, and social status to bring these three individuals and their families together. Think about our own church, how different we are We have different backgrounds. There's different races, different economic standings, different education. We're all different, but we can come together as one in Christ. What an awesome thing it is to see that. And I've had the privilege, when I've traveled around the world and been in churches, I've been able to worship with them even though I spoke a different language, even though I looked different and I acted different. We were able to worship Jesus together because we were all followers of Jesus Christ. We all had that commonality in Christ. And I've seen it within our own church, how people of very different backgrounds and different looks and and, and different in so many ways come together and worship and sit together on Sundays and become friends because of Jesus Christ. So this is how the Philippian church started. These three individuals, God used to bring to himself and start this church in Philippi. And about ten years later, Paul writes a book to this church. And it's the book that we know as Philippians. I have to say, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I love this book. It's so full of encouragement. And it also shows us how to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Look with me at Philippians 1 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is a key verse in this book, and it's calling us to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as we journey through this book over the next several months, we will see how to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I will challenge you to put into practice the things that you learn over this time. There's one other underlying theme that I want to point out to us this morning that is is very important in the times that we live in right now. And it is one of the ways to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that is joy. Joy. Where does your joy come from? During these difficult times, everyone's looking for joy. Well, this book gives you the answers to that. Joy is mentioned over a dozen times in the book of Philippians. Several times in each chapter. And we will see, over this time, how to have joy in Christ. And it's interesting, as Paul writes this book, in telling the Philippians to find joy, that he's in prison in Rome. So he's not basing his joy on his circumstances. And neither should we. And the people that he's writing to are also going through difficult times. They were poor. They were being persecuted for their faith. They were being attacked by false teachers. And there were a couple women in the church that were having arguments and fighting and threatening the unity of the church. And so even though Paul and his people that he's addressing here are having difficult times, he's saying, find your joy in the Lord. And this book is full of rejoicing and joy. One of the most famous verses is Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. What a powerful verse that is. Well, John MacArthur says... Biblical joy, the settled conviction that God sovereignly controls the events of life. For believers, good and His glory is available to all who obey Him. So friend, I ask you, do you believe God is sovereignly in control of all the events in your life? During this time of COVID-19, do you believe God is in control? And that we can find joy in Him, even though things around us might be upsetting or in upheaval? Secondly, I would say, are you obeying Him in all the areas of your life? Are you obeying His Word and following His Word in your life? MacArthur goes on to say spiritual joy is not an attitude dependent on chance or circumstances. It is the deep and abiding confidence that regardless of one's circumstances in life, all is well between the believer and the Lord. Thus, Scripture makes it clear that the fullest, most lasting and satisfying joy is derived from a true relationship with God. So friend, do you have a true relationship with God? Have you received Him as your Lord and personal Savior? Have you repented of your sins and turned to Him in saving faith, believing that He died on the cross and rose again, and that He paid the penalty that you could not pay when He died on the cross for your sins? Well, if you do do not have that relationship, I would like to invite you to have it this morning. It's as, as simple as confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and believing in your heart that He's risen from the dead, and you will be saved. So turn to Him in salvation today because He is the answer and He is the source of joy. Believer, are you finding your joy in the Lord or are you allowing your circumstances to get you down? I'll have to be honest with you. At times I allow circumstances to get me down and I don't always find my joy in the Lord. But I know He is the true source of joy. And I know that this book will help us to understand how to find our joy in the Lord rather than our circumstances. It's it's in Him that we can find joy. So go on this journey with us over the next several months as we look through the book of, of Philippians and see how we can live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we can find our joy in the Lord and Him alone. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would ask that you turn with me to look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We're just going to talk about these two verses this morning. Philippians 1, 1 and 2. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as with most of Paul's letters and the letters of that time, there are three components in the opening. The sender, the addressee, and a greeting. Well, this letter to the Philippians was no different than the other letters that Paul wrote, and it has these three elements, and I'd like to look at these three elements this morning. The first element is the sender. The senders were servants. Look at verse 1 again. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Well, Paul, we're very familiar with, and most of us know him. He was the one that God met on the road to Damascus and brought to himself in Acts chapter 9. He was one of the leading characters in the book of Acts, and he wrote 13 New Testament books. And I personally would consider him the greatest Christian to ever live. Philippians 3, verses 4 to 11, give his human credentials. Listen, it says, "...though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." But whatever gain I had, I counted it all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So, Paul, the Apostle Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He was blameless according to the law. But he realized once Christ met him on the road to Damascus that it was all rubbish in light of knowing Christ. And he gave it all up to serve Christ. Timothy. The other sender of this book of Philippians. We read and hear about in Acts 16, which we've already read, but I will read again, Acts 16, verses 1 to 3. It says, Paul came also to Darby and, and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra. And, Iconium, And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were, with, who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, and, and fellow companion and traveling partner. His mother and his grandmother were faithful Jewish Christian women. And we see here in chapter 16 of Acts that his father was a Greek and that he was well-spoken of, so he had a good reputation. So Paul, because of the Jews, chose to circumcise him so that he could be a testimony and not a hindrance to the Jews. And at times, Paul would leave Timothy behind to be an encouragement and help to a church plant, or send him to the ones that were already planted to encourage them. Timothy was there when Paul was in prison in Rome, and that's why they were sending this letter together. Paul also wrote two letters directly to Timothy to encourage and help him in his pastoring role. So Timothy was a good friend and co-worker in the ministry to Paul. But we see here in Philippians 1.1 1, 1, that Paul and Timothy considered themselves servants. Servants of Christ Jesus. And not just servants, but bond servants. Servants here, the Greek word refers to a person owned by someone else who submitted to and depended on that person. And we know from the Old Testament in Exodus 21 and 5 and 6 that that a slave who refused the opportunity to go free and voluntarily resubmitted himself to his owner was considered a bondservant. Look at Exodus 21, 5 and 6. It says, But if a slave primarily says... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then this master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So if a slave wanted to stay under his master and not leave, he could choose to say, I want to be a bondservant. I want to stay with this master because he's good to me, he takes care of me. And when he did so... He was taken and his ear was pierced through on the doorpost to make it a sign that he was going to stay. Well, Paul considered himself a bondservant of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians seven twenty-two. It says, For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is freed of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So both Paul and Timothy, when they were called to Christ, they realized that they became bondservants of his. And they looked at this as a positive thing, not a negative thing. They were willingly submitting themselves to Jesus Christ as their master and as Lord of their life. Jesus was going to be the one that directed their paths. Like we know in Proverbs three five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. but In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Christ is the one that will direct our paths, and He directed both Paul and Timothy's path. They were sold out to Christ in every way, and they realized what Jesus had warned His disciples in Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Paul and Timothy realized that they had to give up all their other masters and become bond servants of Jesus Christ. They lived their lives for him, and they strived to do everything for him. Well, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, every Christian should have this devotion to Jesus Christ. They should commit themselves as servants of Jesus Christ, desiring to live each and every day for Him. So we see the first element was the senders. The second element was the addressees. And the addressees were saints. Paul addresses his letter to the saints that are in Philippi. Look at with me at the second part of verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. The saints are those who are set apart. Meaning that believers in Jesus Christ are set apart by Him and for Him. They are to be holy as He is holy. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Saints are to conduct themselves in a way that is different than others that are not followers of Jesus Christ. They are to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. All the redeemed of human history, both before the cross and after the cross, are saints, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and made righteous before God. In Acts 9, 13 and 32, we see that the saints there were all believers, not just some of them. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard that from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And then verse 32 it says, Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. So all those people were saints. Whether you're a mature believer or you're an immature believer, or you're a new believer, or you've been a believer for 50 or 60 years, we're all saints. We're all saints, and we know that we're saints because even as Paul wrote to the, the Corinthians, and we know some of them were, were very immature believers, he called them all saints in one, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. So every believer is a saint, not because of what he did, but because of what Christ has done through him, in clothing them with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is not based on what we do or by the works of the law, as we know in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one will boast. So it's not anything that we do. We're saved because of what Christ did, and it's not by the law, it's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So, saints are set apart for Christ and His service. Look at Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, brothers and sisters, we're all saints and we should live and serve Christ with our lives. But Paul, specifically in this this introduction, addresses the overseers and deacons. So who? Who are the overseers and deacons? Well, these are our two church offices of leadership. The overseers first, the elders or shepherds, are known for the first time in Acts 11.30. And it's, it's when Judah and the leaders there send famine relief to the church and the elders in Antioch. And their qualifications of elders are found in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, and Titus 1, 6-9. The elders, they are the under-shepherds of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And they are to serve the local church. They are to be led by the Holy Spirit as they preach, teach, disciple, be an example to pray for, and provide leadership for that church. And I am thankful for the faithful men that are providing leadership and, and are elders of our church. The second office, though, we see is the deacons. They are servants, ministers. Originally, it meant one who renders service as a lowly kind, particularly serving at tables. Their their qualifications are found in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And the first deacons were chosen in Acts chapter 6. Their role is to provide practical service for the church. They should provide care for those who are in need, specifically with the widows. The main difference in qualifications between elders and deacons is that elders are to be able to teach the Word of God. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, please continue to pray for our elders and our deacons as they provide leadership for our church. We need your prayers. So the last part of this introduction, the third element is the greeting. and The greeting was a source of encouragement. Look at verse 2. It says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts with grace. Paul was concerned for the church of Philippi and he wanted them to know and accept the grace of God in their lives. The grace that only comes from knowing Jesus Christ. God has shown us this amazing grace in the redemption that He has offered us by His Son, Jesus and once you receive that grace, that grace leads to perfect peace. Which is the second word he talked about. It says, grace to you and peace from God. Paul wants his readers to know fully the peace that comes from knowing Christ. True peace only comes from God through a relationship with his son Jesus. Christ is peace and the giver of peace. Look at John fourteen twenty seven. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Do you know the peace of Christ? I pray that you do and that you will know the peace that only Christ can offer you. And during this time, we need His peace. And we know from this verse, it says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God in Christ are where grace, peace, and salvation come from. So, how do we apply this introduction to our lives? Well, I have several ways that we can apply this to our lives. The first is as servants. Have you surrendered as a servant to Christ? Have you become a bondservant to Him? Are you devoted and obedient to Christ and His Word? Or are you still trying to serve two masters? Well, I would encourage you... Become a bondservant of Christ. Make Him Lord of your life and devote your life to Him and to His Word. Secondly, as saints, are you set apart for Him and His service? That's what saint means, to be set apart. Are you living holy and righteous for Christ? Have you submitted yourself to the church leadership? What I would encourage you, brothers and sisters... Submit yourself to Christ like Paul and Timothy did. They made themselves bond servants to Him. And submit yourself to the church leadership. If you have not become a member, I would encourage you to join the church. That is an act of putting yourself under their leadership. So please join the church and become a member. Thirdly, as a receiver of the greeting, have you accepted the grace of God in your life? Have you known fully His grace? Is there an area in your life that you need His grace this week? Do you have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there an area in your life that you're, you're lacking peace in? I know right now during COVID-19, there is a lack of peace. But I encourage you, find peace in Christ. Like the apostles after the resurrection, were in the upper room waiting and wondering what was next. Christ appeared to them and He says, Peace be with you. Do you know that peace of Jesus Christ? Have you seen it in your life? Has your heart burned within you? And lastly, as a source of encouragement, some practical ways that we can put this into practice and pay it forward. How can you encourage another believer this week? Well, there's several ways that I think you could. You could write a letter of gratitude, of encouragement to a family member, friend, or neighbor. You could call somebody, another member of the church family, and encourage them this week and pray for them. As we heard in the announcements, you could join in in praying for our frontline workers, those that are exposing themselves every day to COVID-19. Or you could send us a video testimony that we could share on social media, or on the website, to give encouragement to others. We need to be encouraging each other like Paul and Timothy were encouraging the Philippian believers. So my friends, be an encouragement to others by being a servant, by being a saint, and by knowing the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to look into your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you started your church in Philippi many years ago. And as Paul wrote a letter to them ten years later, Lord, thank you that that letter can encourage us 2,000 years later. May this letter encourage us over the months as we study it. And Lord, I pray that you would use what, what we heard this morning in my life and in all our lives. Lord, may we be servants and saints. May we know your grace and peace, and may we pay it forward and encourage others this week. Lord, we pray these things in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen.